Um, one of my favorite things over the last 20 years of ministry that I've had a chance to do is I still continue to get to work with high school and middle school students of this time of students' age, of teenage years. Some of you find yourself in the midst of that. For some of you, that's been a little bit longer than others. Um, but it's just an incredible age, and there's so many things that happen during that. And when we think back, for those of us who are on the other side of it, there's just, it was a very, I know for a lot of us, it's a really important time. It's a time when we're checking things out. It's a time we're trying to figure ourselves out. And a huge hallmark of that time is oftentimes we go through different identities. We try on different versions of ourself. Uh, many of you probably have looked back through your photo albums and thought, why was I wearing that? Um, and what possibly could have been in my head during that season? Um, so I took a little trip down memory lane as I've been thinking about identity over the last couple of weeks. And I know how much you enjoy it when I talk about playing clarinet and other fun things about myself. Um, and today is no different. So um, there was a time um, in about fifth or sixth grade when uh, two great seminal film classics, Break-In and Break-In 2 Electric Boogaloo, were sweeping the nation. Um, these uh, captured the essence of the breakdance culture. And I, for one, loved both of these movies. They're uh, phenomenal. If you've not had a chance to watch them, I'm sure they're free on YouTube. Um, so if you want four hours to go away real fast, you can see a man dancing on a ceiling with a broom. Um, so during this time, um, I thought it would probably be a good idea to acquire some of the clothes of this time, so I had a pair of uh, nylon parachute pants that have lots of zippers, a red and black Michael Jackson-inspired shirt from the Thriller years, for those of you who remember Thriller, great times, um, and one white Michael Jackson glove, which is not as convenient when you're OJ and it comes back later to haunt you in different ways. Um, <laughs> just realized that. Um, Maybe wish my parents had thought differently. So um, during this time, my friend Sean and I were really in the break dancing. Sean was a lot more physically active than I was. Um, he was much better at the spin moves. There's like a lot of, of uh, moonwalking. I can't do it in these shoes. Um, but one of the most important things you needed, um, I remember going to Los Angeles during the midst of this, they had their own giant pieces of cardboard so they could do incredible backspins. And at our house, of course, we needed a piece of cardboard because we had shag carpet and you can't do backspins very well uh, without that. So my mom very kindly lent us her sewing cardboard. I don't know if any of you had this. My mom sewed a lot of our clothes, admitting my mom made a lot of my clothes growing up. Um, but she would let us use this piece of cardboard where we measured out and we could do sweet backspins. And at one point, I think it was Sean's family hired us to break dance for a birthday party. So yes, I am a professional break dancer. Um, <laughs> Fun little fact for you. Um, and so kind of what we were going for is this. You can put that first picture up. We were sort of really trying to capture the essence of this, more on the left side than the right. But, um, but really what, what we ended up giving this party was more of this second picture here. That's more of what they got. Um, I really wish I could have found a picture of myself because if you get a picture shorter and a little chubbier and... Um, less physically inclined. You could have got it, but we can move on. So we ended up doing breakdancing. If that wasn't enough, um, there was also a magic show involved in the birthday party. And this was just one of the identities we tried on. As I kept thinking through, um, I, there was a country face. At one point in life, there was a summer of country where I had a black cowboy hat and tight jeans. Um, move on. Um, in college, there was a grunge face with a lot of dirty hair and long flannel shirts and such. But I think this is a common thing for us. We, as you look back, as you think through, there's this uh, time when we try on these different identities. And very rarely, as I was thinking through, did they come because there's something that you personally wanted to do. Like, it's not something you were doing on your own. Oftentimes, you were to fit into a group. You wanted to know who you were. You wanted to know who you were in place with other people. You, there's a part of us that is just so deeply ingrained to want to fit in, to have an identity, to know 
who we are. And even today, even in, in our adult lives or, or your post uh, figuring yourself out life, there are times we do this together and they're really fun. Many of you, you're Orlando Magic fans. So maybe you put your jersey on and you gather together and your heart swells as the team takes the quarter. Maybe you're Orlando City fans, uh, Orlando Pride fans, you go out in your purple and you cheer your team on. Maybe you're a Gator fan like myself, you get your orange and blue on and you show up for football games or, the, or UCF and you're black and gold. There are moments where we wanna be part of the group. We wanna know the chance. We wanna be part of something bigger than ourselves. And there's a part of us that swells up inside because there's a part of us that was made for that. We were made to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And there are echoes and shadows of this in those moments. And those that aren't bad, they're actually really enjoyable and fun parts of us. But I think they tell a deeper story of who we are. Uh, there's a place deep down in us that wants to know what our identity is. Who are we? How do we live this out? What is it that we're called to be? And these moments where we do these things are kind of shadows and they're kind of lingering moments that come out of a deeper sense of who we are. Um, we've talked about this a few times, but we live out from a sense of what is most true about us. What you believe to be most true about you is how you will live your life. Um, Kaylee Newkirk was here a few weeks ago, and I know a lot of you really enjoyed hearing her teach, and she talked about Superman. And, and, and when he's Superman, Superman knows his identity. Superman can fly faster than a, a speeding plane he can, or a bullet. Uh, he can stop a train. He can fly. He knows who he is, and he's willing to do these things because out of his deepest sense of identity, Superman can do these things. But what if Superman gets amnesia? What if one morning Superman wakes up and forgets who he is and he's dressed as Clark Kent? Uh, he probably isn't going to step in front of a train or try to save someone because his sense of identity starts to come from this outside place. He's forgotten what is most true about him. And he can only live out of this part of him that he sees. And I think there's a piece of that in all of us. We live out of the sense of who we most truly are. And we try to find that in a number of different ways. But in our deepest part, we need to know who we are who we truly are to be fully alive and to fully live out our purpose. Um, this is no surprise to God. God created us, God knows us. God knows what we need in our inmost places, in our quiet place in those times in the middle of the night when we think no one else is there. God knows what we need. And he knows that this is a piece of who we are. And it's no surprise to Paul either, the writer of Ephesians. As we move into Ephesians, uh, Paul reminds us of who we are as the church. In the first two verses, Paul greets the church and calls them by name and he, and he welcomes them in. And then he moves into a section where he reminds them of where their identity comes from. He knows that this church, or more likely this group of churches that this letter was written to that it would be shared, needed to be reminded of who they truly were so that they could be fully alive and that so they could fully live out their purpose in the world. So this is where we find ourselves today. Together, we're gonna to read Ephesians uh, chapter one, verses three through 14. If you have your Bible or if you have your bulletin and I invite you to follow along or you can feel free to just listen to these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. These verses, this long passage that we're looking at today is actually just one long run-on sentence. In fact, it's the longest sentence in the New Testament. It's 250 some odd words that are strung together with no punctuation, no real sense of how it fits together. And as I've uh, kind of read about it and looked into it, there's a real sense that Paul was so excited as he's writing this letter, as he's sharing about it, that there was just this excitement bubbling over from Paul where he wanted to let the church know exactly who they were. And he spouted off in one long sense of one long thought of here's how incredible your story is. Here's who you are. And it couldn't be contained. It just came out of him. And I've been reading through it. And it really has this sense of just this thing that has bubbled out of Paul and that he wants the church, not only then to know, because this is not a letter that was written just to that church. This is a letter that's been captured for us through time. It's a letter that is written to us even in this very time. And I think Paul wants that energy and that excitement captured for us even in this very day, even in this very room as we sit in this place in our lives. Paul wants us to hear, what is your identity as a church? Who are you? Who have you always been? The truth that Paul reminds the church that they've been chosen by God, that they've been adopted, that they've been redeemed, that they've been forgiven. Uh, These are all words from the first part of the sentence from this passage as there. They are no longer... uh, forgotten, they're no longer broken, they're no longer unforgiven, displaced remnants, they were chosen by God. Let me read verses four through nine again for you and listen for these words for these adopted, chosen, forgiven, redeemed. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. It's incredible, these images that Paul gives the early church. And now I wanna take a moment because I think um, there's a portion here for those of you who've been around church, you're wondering what kind of a church summit is that we can get hung up a little bit. We talk about being chosen before time and predestined. And it's part where we can get really hung up. We could spend days and weeks discussing it. But I think um, what I really love about summit is something we talk about in our partnership class because uh, at summit, we believe that we, and how we were formed is we are a creedally orthodox church. And that's a lot of big words kind of strung together. What kind of church is summit? We believe in the essentials of what is true about the Christian church. And that would be the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. These were ancient creeds that were written that define the basic tenets of faith that the church believes in. And you're welcome to look these up, and I encourage you to. They're beautifully written, incredibly deep thought processes that the early church fathers put into place, and we cling to these. These are the core, and these are pieces that we will never move away from because they are the core and the truth and the essence about who Christ is, the work he has done for us, for us on the cross, and how God invites us in, and the work he has done for us and what he hopes for us. Um, but in the midst of that, there's, we have a, a community where we're able to have a lot of different thoughts. The, the quote that we cling to is a quote that's been around, and it's so beautiful. We say, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So in the things that are most important in these creeds and these core purposes of who Christ is, we want to be on the same page and, and, and come together on it and find common ground. 
but in things where we don't all have the same ver different thoughts about. We have folks here uh, that worship, or that are students or professors at Reformed Theological Seminary, which falls on one side of the spectrum of predestination and choosing and, all the, and different uh, ways of thinking about Scripture. And then we have folks from Asbury who are students and professors there as well that think on a different side of it. And, and what is beautiful about the church is that we can come together and we agree who Jesus is and the power he has and the life that he promises us. And we can have different thoughts. And in fact, it makes the church richer because in, in non-essentials, there's liberty. We're able to have different thoughts with one another. And it's a beautiful thing as we come together and worship with one another. And I think it gives us a bigger picture of who the church is. Because in all things, we find charity. In all things, we come together and we love one another through it. And so as we uh, go into this passage, we move through that. Uh, I want you to know that you can think a couple of different things and ways about this as you study this, maybe as you get together in your groups, and we can love one another through it. Because what's most important is if we don't move through that, if we miss it, what's most important is the work that God is doing on our behalf, the life that he invites us into, the, the, the identity that he gives us. If we get hung up on that part, we miss this part. The point is that God is choosing a people that is not a new thing. It's been a part of our history and a part of our story all along. And when Paul was speaking to this early church, when he was talking to the church in Ephesus, when he tells them that they've been chosen, that they've been adopted, they've been redeemed, very, very clear images would have come into their head when they heard the word choosing. For those folks that, that were there in this early church, many of them had been growing up and hearing the story of Israel, hearing the story of this chosen people. They've been hearing it over and over and over again. And this image would have popped up of what God has been doing throughout their whole story. And it's a story of us, even in this very day. Their thoughts would have gone back to Genesis and in the very beginning of time when God set creation in order and he created Adam and Eve and he invited them into a perfect relationship with him. They would have said, this is the God that chose to create a world where everything would be perfect, a showcase where if everything could be lived out perfectly, everything is provided and the world would be blessed through this perfect relationship. And yet sin entered into that. Adam and Eve chose their own way, thought they knew better than God, and a brokenness entered into that way, but God didn't stop. God continued to show up and choose people. And he continued to choose people to be a showcase to the world. A few chapters later in Genesis 12, he shows up to Abraham, a farmer, in the middle of nowhere, and he says this to him. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless you. And all people of the world will be blessed through you. So from this first conversation with Abraham, Israel was chosen and set apart, and they were chosen to be the people of God, but not a people set apart for privilege, but set apart for a purpose, to be a showcase to the world, to invite those that were far away in, to show what a relationship and a covenant community with God could look like, and to be so attracted to the world around them that everybody would want to be a part of that. 500 years later, and you're going to hear this story, it keeps repeating, the people find themselves in another, another hard place. God's people are slaves in Egypt. They're enslaved and they're no longer able to live out the purposes that God has for them. They're no longer able to, to live the lives that they were first intended to. They're no longer free to be who they were supposed to be. So God begins to speak to Moses, a former prince turned shepherd. And he says to him, go free my people. And so he does. God leads them to a promised land, a new Eden, a new place where they're free to be his people, to be a showcase to the world, where they can get back to what they were created to do, to display God's character to the world around them, to live lives so full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, that they would be so attracted to the people around them that people could go, well, how could I not possibly want to be part of this community? They were set apart and chosen for a purpose to show the world God's incredible character and his love. Further down the road, a thousand years later, the story has a similar end. Uh, repeat in here in a similar refrain. The people have been kicked out of the land once again. They've chosen different ways. They've gone against God and they have to leave their land. They're in exile. Another rebellion, another turning away from the hope that God had set them out for. 
But the prophet Isaiah shows up and he tells him, God has not given up on you. God never gives up on you. He keeps coming back. And we find Israel freed again from exile. They're brought back to the land for a purpose, to be a light, to be a showcase, to be a love letter to the world around them, to display God's character and to point even those who are far away outside of this community back to God. Choosing people is nothing new to God. And, and why does God choose people? Why does he continue to choose people that uh, often turn away and choose their own way? Why does he continue to show up and set people apart? Again and again, it is to point people to him, to point people to himself. Every time God shows up to Israel, uh, they're reminded that they are chosen, uh, that people are reminded of who they are so that they can be fully alive and fully live out their purposes of being a chosen people, pointing their way back to God. And when that purpose goes undone yet again, when the people again choose their own way and turn their back on God, God doesn't give up. He shows up. The early hearers of this would have heard this story when they heard chosen. All of this would have come flashing to them. And some of this, this part right here would have been very fresh for them because God shows up in the person of Jesus to pay this price once and for all and to choose them and to make their order right. He comes to redeem them. So you hear the word chosen, they have this image of God continuing to show up and choosing them throughout time. And then they would have heard this word redeemed and this word would have brought forth to them a very specific part of their culture because Paul is writing this to a church that is planted in a real place. They live in a real city of Ephesus. They live in a real world, much as we do today. And it helps us to hear these words to know what he would be saying to them because it's just as present for us. When they heard the word redeemed, they would have immediately thought of the slave trade that was going on around them. Up, upwards of half of the people in the Roman culture at the time would have been slaves, people who were only valued for what they could do, for only what they could produce, that they were owned, they were valueless and had no worth outside of the work that they could produce. Um, even as I say that, I, I imagine some of you feel the same way even in your very life as you sit here today, that you are only worth what you can give. And God came to change that. Because can you imagine, and, and as I say, maybe you can, you're sitting there on this, this auction block and people are, are sizing you up and saying, what is the value? What is the actual dollar price I can put on what you can give me? And as you're standing there waiting to find out, am I valued at all? Do I have any worth or am I less than worthless? Am I not even a human? Am I gonna be discarded away at the end of my time? Or maybe nobody even wants me in this time and place. Someone comes along and does something that's so incredible, that does something that is so out of the imagination, but that was so possible that a redeemer comes. And what the Redeemer was, what this word would have struck up in their mind, is a Redeemer would come and pay the price for you. They would buy you, but not in the purpose of giving you over to slavery, not in the purpose to own you, not in the purpose to say that here's why I value you for the work that you can do. They'd pay their price so that they could be free. And for the first time, you could step down, and, and, and as this person who's been redeemed, for the first time in your life, you are human. You are given over and freed to be who you were truly meant to be, a human, someone valued. And, 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 and they would have had this image when they heard redeemed of what's happening in the real world. And what God wanted us to hear is that that is what he did for us through Jesus, that we've been redeemed, that we have been set free, that we've been freed so that we can live the life that God truly wants for us, that we're no longer slaves to what God uh, or to what has happened in our past. We're no longer slaves to the sin that captures us. We're no longer slaves to what we can just produce. We were freed to be who we truly are. It's an incredible image that he gives him, chosen and redeemed. This is what God was up to when Jesus came. This, the church in Ephesus, not that long after this happened, would have heard these words of chosen and redeemed. But they would have also heard a third word in there. This, in this passage, in, in, in this identity of who the church is, there's three things that are revealed about their, their identity. One is their identity in the past and in their history. 
And in, in the, that history, there's three things that happen in there as well. Their true history and identity is revealed in that they are chosen by God as a showcase to the world. They're chosen. Uh, that they're redeemed is the second part of this, their past and their history by Jesus so that they can fully live the life that God has called them to. But then they also were adopted in that same passage. They heard the word adopted. And that word had meaning then just as it does now. In the legal time of the Roman culture, the way adoption would work is a two-step legal process. And this image would have been very clear to them. Um, in the first step of the legal process, the person who is being adopted would be freed from the control and the power of the father who had control over them. Legally, they were separated from the power of this person had over their life. And for the first time, they were freed up from oppression or from whatever was happening in that place. And they were free to be whoever they needed to be. So God, in the spiritual sense, tells us in, in this image that we were freed from the power of sin over our lives. But it wasn't just freed with no other purpose and no other protection there. In the adoption process, and they would have been handed over to a new family, to a new father who provided, a new family who could love them, a new family who protected, who provided for them. And in the same way in our spiritual lives, we are handed over to a God who loves us desperately and who gives us the power to live it out. This would have been an image that would have been conjured for them as they heard adopted. And Jesus very clearly wants us to hear that in this very day. Chosen, redeemed, adopted. That is our identity and our past and our history with God. And if, if we don't this morning have a chance to grasp the full breadth of that history, um, what we run the risk is, is to stay enslaved, to stay trapped in our past, that we're never freed to be who we truly are. But if we can get this, if we can understand what God has done in our history and our past, uh, we're free to be fully alive and to fully live out the purposes that God has for us. Uh, the second place where God reveals our identity in this passage is in our future as well. He talks about in our past, but he also reveals our identity in the future. In verse 10, he says, he will bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There will come a time uh, when all will be brought to unity under him. There is a promise made to us, to the family of God, to those he has called together, that there will come a time when all tears will be gone, when all order will be restored, when justice will be made right, when the world will be as it ought. And we're included in that as a promise to us. And they would hear that in, that in the future, that all would be made right. And they would have a hope towards the future. And, and if we don't get a chance to grasp that, we're left hopeless because there's nothing that can change. What we wake up to today and yesterday and throughout every day of our lives, when we hear the bad news of the broken world we live in, we're stuck in a place where there is no hope. If there's not a future that's promised to us, a future where all will be made right. But if we get it, if we understand what our identity is in Christ and that he will make things right, we have hope. And we can move forward in a world that desperately needs us. They need the church to be the light and dark place. And they need to be reminded that there is hope in the midst of all this. Their identity is rooted in the future as well. But it's not just the past and it's not just the future. These aren't uh, things that God has done for us to just think about and to hope for. Uh, what's incredible is their identity is revealed of how they live this out in the present, in the very now. God is working it today in this very day and wants the church to be alive, to be fully known who they are so they can be fully alive and to be fully live out their purposes. Uh, we see this in verse 13. And here it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We are given the power and the promise in this very day of what has come. We're given power to overcome what is happening here. The Holy Spirit has been sent to be near us, 
to be part of us and to give us the power to be able to live out our daily lives, to be the church in this very day and age, to be the people of God right now. It's an incredible promise of what happens right now and is a seal of what's to come. We're afraid if we don't understand that, if we don't understand the power that we have, the power that's promised that he's given us, we, we run the risk of feeling powerless. We run the risk of becoming unmoored in the midst of everything that's going on and that we have no control over anything. But if we grasp it, if we understand the identity that God has given us, we have power over what is happening now. We're given the power through him to live this life. And we talked about in this series that we just got done with the, uh, um, uh, where we talked about the fruit of the spirit and we talked about abiding in Christ and the life that comes through him. That is what the spirit does. He produces life in us and power over the everyday and a chance to live for him and to produce fruit that is so attractive to the world around us. What's incredible about all this, if you are a believer, if you are the church, this is for you. This is your identity. This is your story. This is a story that's been going on since the beginning of time. It continues to go on and you are a part of it. Like just believing in Jesus, just being a believer in him and following him. This is you. This is your story. This is a story that's continuing to be told out this very morning. will continue being told this next week and the weeks to come. You are a part of that story and you're a part of it. You're already there, which is just an incredible, incredible truth. You're the family of Christ. You're a love letter to the world around you. Uh, you are people who are being transformed more and more every day into the image of Christ for the sake of others. My encouragement is to cling to that identity and to live it out. The world desperately needs us. Um, if you're not yet a, a follower of Jesus, first, I'm so glad that you're here and that you've decided to come this morning and to be a part of this. God wants you here in this very place, in this very time. We're so glad that you're here. But I, I, I don't want you to hear this story as a story of exclusion. This isn't a story of God saying, look at my people I wish you could be a part of this and you're cast out. This is a story of God choosing people, of choosing the church to be so vibrant and alive and to be so inviting that you are welcomed in and God wants you to be a part of it. His whole purpose of all of this is identity as a church is to be a people that invite people into a covenant relationship with God and to a community with him to be followers of him. It's an incredible story. He has been choosing and using broken individuals and groups of people for thousands of years. And he continues to do it this very day. And you're welcomed in and you're invited in. Not only are you invited in, but we need you. The church desperately needs you because we're incomplete without you. And so I encourage you to take as much time as you need, but not any more than that, to find out who God is, of what he's doing in your life, and is he inviting you in? Because we would love to be there with you and invite you into the story that God is telling. Um, now that we've had a chance to hear this, we've had a chance to dig into this passage, if we had a chance to look at and see what our identity is and to hear about these uh, rich images that Paul gave this church in Ephesus. I, I really want you to hear this again and to be able to hear this as a letter to you as the church today. So I'm gonna read again Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14, but try to picture yourself in this place. Try to hear these words for you. You are adopted, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are chosen, you have been set forth as a people of God and invited into the story. So hear this letter to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This summer, I believe, if we continue to study Ephesians together and on our own, as we continue to dig into this letter to the church, if we hear these words written to us, my hope is that we will look more, that we will love more, and that we will act more like the people that God has set us apart to be. Like the group that God has chosen to, to use to be a light uh, to the world. And we will more deeply understand who we are so that we can be fully alive and so that we can fully live out God's purpose for us. Um, Lake Mary and the city need us. They need the church. It needs us together as the church. Your job, your family, your home, your neighbors, uh, your supermarket. They need us to be the family of God. They need us together. They need us to be the light, the love letter that God has been writing to his people for thousands of years and inviting into a story that is greater than any story that can be told on our own into a grand narrative that is incredible, that is going on, that has been happening, and that will continue to happen. God wants everyone to be swept up in this and he uses us as an instrument of doing this. We are the letter and everyday people are reading it to find out what it means to be the people of God. So let's cling to our identity as chosen, uh, redeemed and adopted. While looking forward to a day when all will be made right, when all tears will be swept away, when justice will be restored, and go forth with the power and promise of the Holy Spirit to help us live this out each day.